This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Rhett and Link first met when they were in first grade in North Carolina and have been inseparable ever since. The duo joined YouTube and quickly established themselves on the platform with their comedic songs and sketches. They now have millions of subscribers and continue to grow their audience. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Rhett and Link recall how they started Good Mythical Morning on YouTube, their friendship and partnership, and their thoughts on social justice issues. Hey guys. Hey, hey. How you doing, Carlos? Good, good. So sorry to hold you guys. How are you guys? Great, hey, man. Nice to meet you. Yeah, same, same. Uh, congratulations. Uh, uh, longtime fan here. And uh, we have someone in common. I think you guys know uh, the wonderful Kimmy, uh, stylist to the stars. So I think we're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you feel like I'm looking good today, that's because she's here. So... She's going to come by and say hello at the end. If you guys have two seconds at the end, is she's going right? to say hello. So she, she's there right now. She is. She is. She is. She is. So she is as you uh, can see, in your pocket. She, as you can see, she is She is definitely not here for me today. <laughs> What's wrong with the t-shirt? <laughs> you know, it's a good look. It's colorful. I actually, I love the set, though. The set is a winner. The set is beautiful. <laughs> and uh, as you can tell, I also wish I had the hair. You guys both have been <laughs> blessed by the follicle gods. The follicle gods <laughs> were good to you guys. So, uh, so I, uh, I love that. I love that. So you, so you guys have been buddies literally going back how far? How, how long have you guys been uh, good friends? First day of first grade, 1984. Wow. Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Yeah. And, and are, how did it happen? And I ask only because I've had uh, my best buddy, Otto, uh, we were second grade. And, uh, uh-huh. and so we've been buddies since then. I've been eating all his mom's good food since then. How did you guys meet first day? Was it, were you guys sat next to each other or what, what happened? How did you guys meet? We were both being punished together. We were held in from recess because we were scribbling profanity on our desks right <laughs> you know yeah, i sure. love that so otto was the good kid i was the kid who always was uh, you guys probably didn't have this but in my day when you got kicked out they literally made you the detention kids like me sit outside of the class while everybody right. was inside and uh 
and that was me. And I would love it when someone else got kicked out so that it looked like we were actually redoing a test or something. So I don't know if yeah. you guys looked like that, but. Uh, well, she gave exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. So this is actually the, you know, the origin story is what has sort of led to the, why we call everything mythical, why good mythical morning is good mythical morning, why our company is mythical entertainment, because Miss Locklear, yeah. who uh, was our first grade teacher, when she held us in, she made us color pictures of mythical beasts. So we ended up telling that story so many times. And then we you know, ended up writing a song about the, 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 how we met. And we were like, okay, well, let's, let's take that mythical nomenclature and apply it to basically everything that we do. So our fans are known as mythical beasts. And I will say that I'm, I was meticulously coloring within the lines and yeah, you were I like, was, I was not, <laughs> I, I was actually, I, think that I was annoyed. I was annoyed at how, I mean, it was first grade, you know? I mean, it's like, he was like, he was doing that thing where you like lightly shade it. And it's like, <laughs> and I was like, what? This is, it's red. You just make it red. <laughs> so you guys were like Otto and me. I was definitely the one who was not color coordinated and wasn't the great artist. And Otto's mom was actually a serious sculpturist. And so oh, he wow. was always, he was a guy we went to to draw um, superheroes and draw cars and draw your favorite football players. So when I hear that you were doing that kind of a careful lining, it sounds like, like you had the auto in you. So uh, I, love, uh, yeah. I love that piece. of. Don't ask me to sculpt anything, though. <laughs> That's the next life. That's a, so right. how did you guys get confident enough to quit engineering? You guys... You, I read that you guys uh, were serious engineers. You did incredibly well. You were working at serious places. And then it's one thing to kind of say I'm going to dabble, but you guys actually literally, I mean, you guys walked away from good opportunities. Was that easy? Was that hard? Were you already making good money on YouTube by the time you decided to walk away? No, I think I think we had the confidence because we had each other egging egging us on. And we had all, you know, throughout our entire friendship, we had always tried things. Whenever we found ourselves in front of an audience, we were always trying things and egging each other on. Right. E even if that's like, hey, I'm going to put my shoe in the school cafeteria lunch tray because that'll be funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you should do that kind of it really. Thing. It wasn't funny. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a daunting decision to. Well, we moved from engineering and then we worked for a nonprofit organization called Crew and we were like resident filmmakers and we were starting to develop our co comedic chops. So there was a bit of a transition there and you know we we were each married, uh, we each had one child at the time. Yeah. So I mean that starts to to load the decisions even more. When we moved out to LA it was because we had the opportunity to host a television show called Online Nation, which was canceled very quickly uh, after we came out. But that made it easier to make the leap because like, oh, we can host a television show out in L.A. It's like we have to say yes to this. We have to give it a go. And our wives were very encouraging right from the beginning. You know, I mean, it was we were doing comedy kind of on the side. But when they saw whenever we would do something, I mean, there's this one sort of classic story where we performed a song at our, our roommates, our college roommates wedding or rehearsal. And it was just a ridiculous song about how what his wife was had in store. And, you know, it was a warning. Yeah. To her, what, what she was about to experience with our friend Greg. And it 
it killed it at a, at a rehearsal dinner. <laughs> and, and then all the way home, they were like, you guys, you should do this. Like what you did tonight should be the thing that you do. Like you really got to lean into this comedy thing. So that when, when you've got the support of, of your, your wives and they're like, well, yeah, we've got kids and we know that you need to do this in a way that can actually put food on the table, but they've kind of encouraged it. They gave us the okay. So we felt like we could move forward. All right. Um, now, what about in high school and in junior high school? Were you guys the class clowns? Were you the ones making everybody laugh or no? We're, yeah. Well, we were we were making each other laugh, definitely. <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, we, we took every opportunity f- to entertain an audience. I mean, I remember one of the things we did in, in middle school in particular was probably one of our first times where we realized that, oh, we can see how people react to us, was at a, the beta club is what we called it. Uh, the beta club, like regional conference where you came together with the other kids from the schools around this part of North Carolina we were at. And at some point there was like a technical difficulty or they were waiting on something, Yeah. but you ended up getting well, up front. They made an announcement. They said, I'm sorry. It's like the speaker wasn't there or something. I said, if anybody wants to come up and tell a joke, tell a joke. Uh, we've got a few minutes and link. And I just got up there. Yeah. You, you, I, of course I knew no jokes. Link got up there. And uh, first of all, he, I, I, I'll give him credit. He had the courage to get up there, yeah. which I wasn't willing to do. Wait, wait, wait. How old, how, old, how old are you guys at this point? Seventh grade? Sixth grade? No sixth or seventh grade boy would go to the front. That's bold, Link. You had it in you. <laughs> like, you had a, you had a tiger in you. I'll figure out what I'm going to say huh? as I'm walking up yeah, there. And about, of course, that didn't happen. About 40 seconds in, I was like, oh, he needs help. <laughs> he needs some help in a big way and i just got i don't even remember what we did but i got up there and then it became it started to become something i think your joke was the fact that i was so unfunny <laughs> yeah yeah so it's just like it really it's not that you were funny it's just that it relieved the tension that okay we're not crazy that guy wasn't fun yeah and and that was kind of the beginning of us. Then you know, we in high school we ended up running for office because they said if you if you if you run for office, you can give, give a, speech. A, a speech to the entire school. Like they'll bring in the sophomores, they'll bring in the juniors, they'll bring in the seniors, and we we're like, oh, we could. So I had no interest in actually holding any political power in our local high school, <laughs> but we knew we could command the attention of the entire school. And uh, that was kind of a different experience for the two of us. Uh, I did not get elected, but <laughs> I but I got what I I got what I wanted. I gave a speech, and yeah. then no more duties. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, uh, now, if I go back to that time, and I told people back in that time, hey, these guys are going to go on to have this really successful comedic career, entertainment career. What would what would folks have told me in high school? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Or would they have been like, oh, I didn't kind of see that coming? What would, uh, what would your classmates have said? I think everyone would have said, oh, I'm not surprised. You know, people are into anything. <laughs> okay. well, yeah, there's I, something for everybody. I, I, you know, I think most of the, because we, we come from a really small town. I mean, in, in Bowie's Creek, we're talking like a thousand people. Like, so a really small town with one stoplight that only flashes. I mean, I think it does actually turn green and red now but when we were coming up it was only flashing yeah and we didn't even know how to navigate that i think you just slowed down a little bit but um our idea of what entertainment was was in like full-time entertainment was there was a guy who would come to the middle school dances and he was a dj but he was also like a magician 
and you know he, he was basically like any, any any way that you can entertain he's probably also a clown on the side but we're like that's what full-time entertainment is and i think that people may have assumed like okay i can see Rhett and link doing that maybe nobody had any idea that anybody <laughs> from our school would move to california to pursue a, a career in entertainment that was just not even on the radar so that would have been a surprise to us and and our, and our friends. So so what happens now when you like guys like go back to reunions? Because that must be, what is that like? I don't even want to put words in your mouth. What's it like if you guys go back to reunions or if you guys go back for Thanksgiving or what have you and see everybody? Well, we had a high school reunion that then it, a hurricane. it got delayed from a hur- for a hurricane, and I had to fly back, and you stayed through the hurricane. I so I did. You know, I'm kind of like looking forward to seeing my old friends and. Hey, see if they watch our stuff, but then I just, I didn't get to experience it. So, you know, there's something about, again, I kind of go back to the size of the place that we come from. And there was this group of friends that we were pretty much in school together from first grade to 12th grade. Right. Uh, And so those were the most, most of the people that that actually came to the reunion was sort of that group. And, um, there's just something about it doesn't really matter what you've gone on to do that you're immediately sort of brought back to this place where, oh, yeah, this, this is the people I grew up with and we're all kind of grounded. Yeah. I'm um, glad they didn't give you a big head without <laughs> so, me there. Uh, yeah. So it was actually there wasn't much to it, honestly. Yeah. Not impressed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then wait, now your wives, where did you meet your wives? Um. I met my wife in college. Yeah, we were both in yeah. college. Both in college. So, so neither are from uh, Bowie Creek. They're close. They're close by what well, my wife grew up like 10 minutes away uh, in an equally weird named place, Fuquay Verena. And then his wife was a couple hours east. Yeah. You're uh, Jesse's dad. Jesse's dad was my dentist. Yeah. And I growing did, but up. I did, you know, growing up. And my grandma was his dental assistant. Yeah, that's right. His grandma was my father-in-law's dental assistant. Yeah. Which oh, meant that we would sneak into the dental office on the weekends and she would clean my teeth for free. I she think, was, I think that's okay. <laughs> she was licensed. Uh, I know. <laughs> I love it. Grandma's doing what she's got to do. I appreciate grandma. Wait, so, so Rhett, did you, were you and Jesse a thing in high school or no? No. Huh, well, she was still in high school. Well, oh, hey, 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 <laughs> I was in college when we met. She was a senior in high school. I was like, but don't we you did date not, in high school. We did not date until she became a college student. I have standards. He didn't tell me they were dating until she I did was not date until she was college. a college student. <laughs> okay. Wait. I, I dated an older woman. <laughs> She's a week older than me. Still is. <laughs> A, a week works. A week works. Now, wait, right. now are, are these women comedians or why? Because that is good support, Rhett. Like, to get to get good support. Yeah. I mean, because you, you guys say you have kids. You're relatively young. They get these two young strapping guys who, who, uh, who've got good jobs. Like, that's good that they, that they, like, leaned in and said, let's go for it. Like, are they comedians themselves? Are they entertainers? Like, who are these women that, that stood by you through this? Uh definitely unintentionally comedic at, at times. <laughs> now, my, I got to say, my wife is, she understands social media much better than me. And so she's been on Twitter for a couple of years. And now we will get into these back and forth Twitter conversations. You know, we'll be on the couch next to each other, but we'll be tweeting back and forth. 
And most of uh, my fans have very quickly figured out that she's funnier than me on Twitter. And they regularly point this out. So I would say, yes, she is a comedian to a certain extent. I can't talk Christy into uh, tweeting yet, but uh, yeah, she's... It would be funny, though. All all of our friends friends tell us that she's the funnier one between the two of us. I agree with that. Wait, now now tell me about YouTube is really where you guys have made your bones, or do you think about other social platforms as being places that you guys have won at as well? Uh, other places now, but definitely YouTube is is where we came up, yeah, and and, and still the, the bread and butter. First thing that we kind of figured out, right? I mean, we we really, I mean, when we were coming up early on, like we you know we got on YouTube in two thousand six, so right after it had become a thing, and uh, we were at that point, it YouTube was one of several different places you could upload a video. I mean, we we had this service where we would upload a video to it and then it would automatically upload it to like six or seven different websites because nobody knew exactly what was going to become the thing right um we were still uploading videos to like myspace at at, at one point you know um but then quickly youtube became the place that the community was really growing and you could actually have something really set off um and then 2007 is when we were like, hey, let's let's try this full time. We'll try to make money through it and started approaching people to pay us to make videos, you know, put their brand in a video. What did you guys figure out about YouTube? Because you guys have billions of views. You have millions of followers. You have multiple channels. Like if you literally were teaching like a, you know, North Carolina State Business School case study course on like how to make this work, like how did two guys end up? making a living off of this for over a decade, like what have been the three or four smartest, best things you guys have done in, in actually making this whole thing work? Uh, I'd say the first thing is have kids and then have more kids. <laughs> like the stakes continue to raise. Yeah, be desperate. When, yeah, when there's, when there's children, children's mouths to feed. Have no right? option but it to work out. I would say the second thing is, and then try everything you can think of. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, Anything that we could conceptualize, we could put out there and you got immediate response. Now, it might be right. small, but but it was either, OK, that didn't work or there's a, there's some promise here. You get a little bit of traction. You can build on it. We knew that for us, we played to our strengths of uh, musical comedy and songwriting. And we knew that that type of video would work in the ecosystem. So they'd be passed around. Yeah. Facebook was just leaving college campuses and going into the rest of the world. Um, so our music videos would start to gain traction there. And if anything started to work, double down, triple down. And then over time, it really became about maintaining a connection with our audience and building that as a relationship, Le- learning how to speak through that lens to one person on the other yeah. side that, and and give them something of yourself and for us of our friendship. So yeah, it was many years later yeah, that Good yeah. Mythical Morning came along, but that became this became the playground for our honest and authentic friendship. I think it was an evolution over time, right? Because <clears throat> the risk is very low. I mean, especially like fishing, you throw something out into the water and you see if it if it connects you see if if you catch a new fan right and then and so the risk is so low it's not like tv and film where you've got you've got unless there's a waterfall you put a lot into this and you want to make sure that you're getting it right Mm. um it's like hey you know what if they didn't that didn't work let's just make another video but and so youtube changed over time 
And it, in the early days, it was like, are you funny? Did you make something that's funny and relatable? And so we were doing that. And we were putting a little bit more time into like a music video or a sketch. But then as the years went by, it was like people started understanding like what Link was getting at, the level of connection that you could have with the person who was making these videos. And that was when we began to talk directly to uh, the, the people watching. And also we developed Good Mythical Morning where we could have a daily point of contact with our fans. And it wasn't about, hey, watch us sing, watch us act. It was like, just watch us be ourselves, experience our friendship, kind of come and be the third member of the friendship. So I think that's the biggest piece of advice that has held true throughout this whole thing is that the, the risks are pretty low. And also you can um, continue to adapt and change as if you try to do the same thing over and over again on this platform, it's not going to keep working. You have, even within something as stable as good mythical morning, the show had to change over time in order for people to still be engaged. And, and so how do you guys make money at this? How do people, you always hear from the outside about people making serious money on YouTube and occasionally you see profiles, you've seen them in you know, various magazine places, but how did it work for you guys? Was it literally YouTube's kind of um, ad exchange uh, thing or was it, I think I heard you Rhett say earlier that brands started to trust you and pay for you? Was there like a tipping point moment when it's, I've seen people do tip jars. Like how did you guys end up making this and do not just something you did, but like a real business? Um, it's a pyramid scheme, really. <laughs> I pay him, he pays me. And then who do you pay? <laughs> me. Uh, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So the, the biggest portion of it all is the, is the ad revenue. And, and the ad revenue that just happens when you click on a YouTube video and you see an ad and now you see an ad before you see ads during you see an ad after there's a lot of ads now and that kind of drives the whole thing but slowly we've been able to build off of that where sometimes we'll do something custom for a brand sometimes it's on uh youtube sometimes it might be on a different platform like instagram or tiktok or something like that and then once you've kind of got this these different properties and the different shows and you you've got a bunch of people who are willing to watch those things you can say, well, hey, let's put a good Mythical Morning logo on a T-shirt. And so then you develop merch and, you know, Mythical develops its own entity and its own brand identity. And then we develop, you know, merchandise and apparel and products within that. So you people just kind com of people just, compliment our hair. So just build like, it out. Let's develop a pomade. <laughs> yeah. And so now where does this go from here? Like given that I'm hearing you, Rhett, say that, that you have to keep evolving, that you have to keep trying things, that you guys came into this with kind of a spirit of, I won't say innovation, but, but a spirit of experiment and trying yeah. new and different things. Like, what would you love to be true two years out, five years out, 10 years out, whatever the right increment is? Is there something that you're thinking about where you want this to go? I think we, we think on two lanes in terms of like where our dreams take us. And I mean, still our creative aspirations and then our business aspirations. So when it comes to our creative aspirations, we're still tapping into that, the dream we had where we, back in middle school, we literally made a blood oath to create things together. And we were thinking within the context of film, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's write some, let's, let's write a script. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can make a movie. Let's develop some traditional uh, projects for television. So we've got some, some pilots that, that we're writing that we're, trying to get out into the world uh, while keeping everything else that we're doing going. Um, yeah, not in an effort to 
And I think this was the case early on. I think, I think we thought that YouTube was the stepping stone to then get into a traditional project, the TV and film. It within, you know, we were trying that at the time and having some success, but nothing really ever, you know, became something. In the meantime, we're doing all this stuff online. And then we start seeing all these traditional stars trying to come back to YouTube and do something digitally. And we're like, well, hold on, we're already here. So we definitely don't need to not do this because it seems like everybody's coming over here. So we're never going to neglect what, we're, what we've been able to do. And also the fact that, you, you know what, we don't have to ask a network executive if this is okay. It's just like, this is the idea. You get the team together, we make it, and we put it on our channel. So we never want to let go of that, but we do have aspirations to make things that are, you know, bigger, broader, uh, just a different financial model, honestly, in order to create a film or a TV show, you got it's, it's a different approach financially. So we still want to tell those kinds of stories. But I think the, the most exciting thing that we're thinking about right now, you know, we're getting we've been doing this a long time. And we, we're both 43, our links about to be 43. And we're thinking a lot more about legacy at this point, right? So what is what is mythical going to represent that's bigger than the two of us? And also, what's happening in general with just the creator business, right? We've got all these other really talented people coming up who are trying to create something that's bigger than themselves. We've had a lot of success in doing that and creating mythical, and we'd like to get involved with helping that happen for other creators. So I think that's a big part of what we're investing in right now is finding people that we can literally invest in and, uh, and grow their brands in a way that we've been able to grow ours. Provide a level of mentorship that we uh, didn't have access to yeah. when we were coming up. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Talk to me a little 
little bit about your friendship and partnership because I, I've always, for whatever reason, I've always been intrigued by partners and teams, whether it's been uh, sports partners, business partners, political partners, um, uh, music and comedy partners. Like I'm always intrigued how the partners came together, how they work together, how they stay together. You know, does the relationship change? And as I watch you guys, it at least feels from the outside that there's still like a good, there's good, I call it good juju. There's good juju between you guys. And I, I remember I had this conversation with Mike Greenberg, the sports uh, announcer and commentator, and he was talking about the fracture of his relationship with Mike Golick and kind of yeah. where that started, you know, the early days, getting on uh, Letterman all the time, how it grew, and then what finally made it kind of separate. Yep. Are you guys as good together as I'm seeing from the outside, or or where are we in your relationship? And if it is working, what works? And if it's not, you know, what are the challenges? We're definitely- I'm glad you asked. It's it's actually not working anymore. It's like this is probably the last interview yeah. we'll ever do. We're definitely not good enough actors. We're definitely not good enough actors to maintain this friendship in a believable way. Uh, if it's not real. I mean, we talk about our friendship all the time. In fact, we just got through recording an episode of our podcast, which is re- legitimately just the two of us sitting down and talking to each other every single week. And sometimes trying to figure out how and why this is still working so well, because yeah. it is, you know, we were we were even talking recently about um, the personality profiles of the Enneagram. I don't know if that's something you've heard of, but it's 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 a way to understand different personality types. And uh, as we've appreciated each of our personality types, we realized how well they work together, something that we never could have anticipated. So from a practical standpoint, just our, our instincts and the way that we approach problems and aspirations um, make us a good team. But then we've, we've always shared the same dreams. Yeah. And we still do. So we're, we're going after the same things, but we're, you know, we're, we work hard at our relationship too. Yeah, I think there's a there's a, a communication that that is so important, right? In the in the duos that we've that we've known that haven't lasted, right? I think that the the thing that was common to and whether it's a, you know it's two people or it's a team of three or four, at some point resentment started to build because of something because that's what happens when people work together, right? You start getting annoyed about something. It's just like a marriage, right? And if you don't have the conversation about the conversation, if you don't talk about the you and your interaction and not just the problem that you're facing, it's really difficult to maintain. So we just had this discipline and it's not necessary. In fact, we were just talking about this today. It's not necessarily a scheduled thing. It isn't like, hey, let's once a month, let's just talk about us. But sometimes there's a longer period of time between a conversation about us in our relationship, but we very rarely let it go for too long before something is built up that we don't address and have a conversation about. I mean, there were, I, we knew uh, some people who were kind of forming a group together and trying to do a YouTube thing. And I was just kind of giving some advice to one of the guys that I know that's a friend. And he was like, you know, you've been working with Link for so long. What, what, what advice do you have? I says, you, you got to talk to each other about each other. You've got to have those relational conversations. And it was like, okay, yeah. And then I told him that, but still 12 months later, the whole thing dissolved. <laughs> you know, because even when you've got that in your mind, that yeah. doesn't guarantee that it's going to work out. But if you don't 
communicate, it's not going to work out. And I'm, I'm really good at friendship <laughs> and just, I'm just a great person. <laughs> so it's, I could probably, I could probably do this with anybody. <laughs> you, you know, it helps when, uh, when one of you is, uh, is a good, so wait, so, so when you guys though have had really, have you guys had any big, messy, difficult, either moments or disagreements or windows or, or no, it's been the fact that you guys got started early and the fact that you work on it has kept it pretty, pretty smooth or have you guys, cause that's a, that's a long road. I mean, you're talking about almost 40 years on the road. That's, that's a real amount of time. <laughs> right. Not any one huge test stands out. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of tests. Like Red said, these, those conversations, it's like, if we're not having a conversation once every three months, then the one we have once every six months is going to be more involved, but it's, we approach it like a marriage. I mean, we make fun of our relationship. Not we're not like brothers. We don't use that analogy. We do use the old married couple analogy. So we, yeah, we know how to push each other's buttons and we know each other's insecurities because we've been committed to, being vulnerable and putting that out there, um, it's just refreshing that information and kind of renewing our commitment, so to speak, to um, put the other guy's feelings and thoughts and interest above even what we're trying to accomplish sometimes. So when we're arguing about something external, those are those are kind of the easy arguments. You can always tell that somebody feels a little more strongly about it than the other guy and and one of us will back off but when it's about the quality of our relationship that type of conversation the more often you can have it the more you the quickly you can get through it and and build that trust where at this point there there are no real questions about is this going to work could could something blindside us we're we're pretty confident and i think it's and we're both in therapy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like that we should probably be paying for the other guy's therapy. Yeah, right. As much as we talk about each other. But there's never been a, you know, there's never been a fight. Did you? The, is your, is your therapist cheaper than mine? Because maybe we can work I, something I out. I doubt it, based on what I saw Bill recently. But then no, let's um, leave it how it is. The, you know, uh, I got a cheaper therapist. We've never been in a physical fight. I mean, there was this one time that on the show. Right here at this desk, there was a, well, actually it was in when the, the old desk in the, in the old studio, but we have a wheel that we end every episode with called the Wheel of Mythicality. And it's just like a random, you land on something and you do it. And one of the items on the wheel was slap each other. It was, well, it I don't was, know if it's funny. It was submitted by a fan. It's literal. Who did not know what they were getting us into. You know, literal slapstick comedy. And, um, you know, we have different. You hit me too we, hard. we have different versions of the story because he I, hit me too hard. He hit me too hard. So I, I demonstrated that he hit me too hard by hitting him as hard as he and hit he me. He was immediately very angry, and I was I felt a little self conscious about the fact that he was getting so angry. <laughs> I was also angry, but I was like, <laughs> like kind of laughing it off a little bit. And then it, we proceeded to. Well, how much heavier is your hand than my hand? Well, the funny thing is, is it was it was just also hold, just flop your hand like a fish right so, now. So. Stevie, it's heavier than mine. Stevie, who is our crea- chief creative officer, this was her first day at work. Oh, her first day at work, she saw us almost get into a physical fight. You have no idea what she might be, have been thinking, you know. 
she was like, is this going to be one of those situations where like, I'm breaking up physical fights between these guys. And that's as bad as it ever got. And that one's on the internet. You can, you can watch that. Do you know what? That is not bad. If you guys got that distance to it. I mean, I've, I, I'm always, like I told you, I'm interested in why, even though they obviously split up recently, like how did Brady and Belichick work? Or mm. how did, um, you know, uh, Pippen and uh, and Jordan or even Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, or Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, like how do these interesting uh, teammates come together? Like how do you make that work and what has to happen, particularly if it's over long, or Warren Buffett and his partner. You know, they've been together for half a century, maybe more. And so, you know, what sneeze guard, I think. <laughs> sneeze guard, you think is the key? Bad joke. <laughs> it's probably it probably worked. But 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 anyhow, I think that's really interesting. Now tell me about something different here. One of the things I've been saying to another one of the guys I work with, Eugene, his name's Eugene Robinson. I said, Eugene, I said, this is your moment, this is your era. I said the 2020s are so disruptive that all the kinds of folks who believed early in YouTube, who believed early in Bitcoin, um, who, uh, I don't know if you guys are MMA guys, but I put that on. I, I, I keep saying this is kind of like, like, this is going to be like a Joe Rogan decade a little bit, meaning, or it's an Elon Musk decade is what I keep yep. saying, which is any of the folks who've, who have swum in any of those waters, these part, like, so many of where things are going, I think, are going to be influenced by this group and Bitcoin and, you know, um, Robinhood and GameStop being kind of really obvious stuff. Yep. Do you, A, do you guys buy that? And if so, what do you guys see on the horizon? What is the next Bitcoin, the next podcast, the next YouTube, the next, you know, whatever these next interesting trends are that maybe you guys are seeing before the rest of us. And you may not even realize they're a trend. They may just be something you're doing because you enjoy it. I think one of the things that has made our journey so much fun is it, it, this, it's, it has been an adventure into the unknown. Every single turn is, it feels like a frontier of okay, our curiosity drives us to try a lot of things, but you only really remember the things that resonate because they stick with you or you stick with it. So I think that um, just a commitment to being on the, the front edge of, of what's happening, the cutting edge, um, I, I think is, is what's brought us here. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited about of where things are going is the the creator economy. I mean, there's a lot of talk about influencers. Uh, you know, we don't use the term as much because I mean, there's there's an artistry and a and a creativity associated with it. It's not just about you'll listen to me and I can get you to do and buy things. Um, but there's there's a power and an autonomy in saying this is who I am and this is what I'm going after. If you're into that, come along with me and let's do this together. And I'm going to keep my integrity intact. I'm going to, you know, so I'm not going to push things on you just for the sake of uh, the money. At least that's our approach. And if so, I see that there's so much opportunity for creative, ambitious individuals, duos, groups that are, are making their own way and 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 creating a community. And there's so much power and fun uh, 
in that. So I think there's a, there's there's a lot more to come on that front. And I think I mean ultimately with a lot of the stuff that you, you mentioned, I, I think you know what we're seeing is we're seeing the dismantling of of power structures, right? And we're seeing it at every level of our society. And we're and there's a lot of incredible things happening. I mean, this is there's it's been very tumultuous because anytime there's this cultural change that happens this quickly, there's a lot of people that just react out of fear and division and polarization and don't know what to do. But the way that some of those those power structures being dismantled has manifested itself in the creator economy is things like it's like the whole GameStop thing, right? It's like that was about the little guy with a Robin Hood account sticking it to the to, to the big guy, right? Uh, and what we're seeing with creators being able to build a, a, a media empire without really having to know anybody, any of the traditional gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers are scared. <laughs> you know, they're they're frightened right now. And I think that, like Link said, there's a lot of opportunity. I wish I could answer that question of what's the next yeah, NFT, what's the next cryptocurrency, what's the next trend? I think that I'm saying it's people. And I'm saying that's why we're investing in creators, because, I mean, we know that's a part of it. Yeah, of course. I, I think that we're positioning ourselves as uh, guys who are trying to be on the front line of, of that independent creator movement, knowing that whatever the specifics are and whatever the specific innovation is economically, that an independent creator is going to be able to take advantage of that. Well, I mean, we're seeing that with NFTs and independent creators right now, right? Uh, because you've got these things that all, all the NFT really is doing is taking advantage of perceived value, right? And when you've got this creative output and you've got people who care about what you make, you can transfer that, that quality, that value, that perceived value onto anything. So, yeah. What do you guys know about your audience? Because I'm sure there's layers to your audience, but, but, but in terms of those folks who love you the most, who love you the deepest, who love you most easily, like, what do you know about who they are? Are they men? Are they women? Are they younger? They're older. Is it the kind of thing where you know if they like this, they're going to like us? Or if they use this kind of phrasing, they're like core people us? What do you guys know about who loves you guys the most? Our audience in Mythical Beasts is broad. So it's like, um, it could be, you know, it could be, it's all types of people. But I mean, our audience has grown up with us. At first, it was a younger audience because right. YouTube was younger. And our content was geared a little bit younger. And then as we've gotten older and we've continued to sit behind this desk and share more of ourselves and behind our podcast mics and share more and more of ourselves, our, the audience hasn't gone away as they've gotten older. They've grown up with yeah. us. So it's kind of like sharing our lives and our collective values of we value creativity. We get excited about curiosity. We don't want to take ourselves too seriously. So we want to have fun and we want to be a positive force in this world. So, I mean, you know, I was looking on the Reddit threads uh, that some of our fans talk and somebody was talking about how they had just lost one of their parents and they were asking for episodes of Good Mythical Morning that would help cheer them up. And all the responses were they weren't just this is a funny episode. This is a funny episode. Every single person shared something from their heart about how they had lost a loved one. 
and then said, oh, and by the way, this is a really funny video where they eat testicles. <laughs> but it, so it's this strange juxtaposition of extremely caring and also extremely committed to living their lives to the fullest. Yeah, but I do think it's just people who are interested in that level of authenticity and people who are approaching things with curiosity, which, you know, ends up being you meet somebody on the street, there's a parent and there's a teenage kid and you don't really know who the bigger fan is. Right. Um, and so, and I think part of that has to do with the fact that we are parents, we, you know, we are a couple of middle-aged guys. And so we're going to appeal to people who are middle-aged who can relate. Uh, but we're in this ecosystem of, of YouTube sort of digital content and we've got teenage kids. And so we kind of understand, we kind of understand the way they think and the, and the kind of things that they want to see. And so those fans are going to show up as well. I will say the one observation that we have made is that while if you just look at the data in the back end of YouTube, more guys watch videos on YouTube in general, right? But what we have found uh, is that our most enthusiastic fans and the ones who show up at events and the ones who want to rep that mythical uh, merch I'd say women definitely have the edge with that. Women tend to be less uh, insecure about passionately, you know, embracing something. I think guys can be a little bit like, I don't want to seem like I'm too into this. Yeah. <laughs> Us yeah. guys can learn from that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. That. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, let me, um, can I hit you guys with a little bit of rapid fire? You guys mind if I uh, throw a few things at you? Now we're from the south, so we talk and think slowly. Yeah, yeah. And we have there's two of us, but you can try. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. All right. Um, and and I want to hear an answer from each of you on this. Okay. Uh, your favorite book? I take the Chronicles of Narnia as a whole. That was what got me into reading for fun. All right, then I'm gonna go Lord of the Rings, baby. Love it. All right, your karaoke song. Hello. Lionel Richie. I'm going to love you forever by Randy Travis. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great hair on both on both answers. I love that. I love that. Um, most beautiful place you've ever been to? Ooh. I think I'm going to say Fiji. Oh, gosh. I think you I'm going to say Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And now why? I've never gone. What made it uh, What made it so spectacular? I think it was the fact that, okay, so we were... We were I was scuba diving. No, uh, not scuba. I was snorkeling. I don't know how to scuba dive. Okay, well, that wasn't the story I was going to tell. I was weeping underwater. That's my answer. I was going to say that it was, we arrived, we were with our families, we arrived at night, and we had to take a very small boat to an island for too long of a period of time. It was a little scary, but they turned off all the lights, and it was the clearest view of the sky that I've ever seen. And then we just pulled up onto this little island and they were like, here's, here's some food. <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. It was cool. <laughs> it was a treat. Oh, now when you guys travel, are you guys usually five-star hotel people? Are you Airbnb people? Who are you? I'm a hotel guy. He's an Airbnb guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when we travel together, usually it's, we don't get an Airbnb together. It's usually hotels. <laughs> right. All right. Um, if you guys could have dinner with any person, dead or alive, who would you want to have dinner with? Oh, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, and they better be able to cook. Probably the, the, like, the first person to discover fire. I don't know if I would be able to communicate with this person. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But I, I feel Yeah, like the dinner I, conversation is I off could, the charts. I could be like, you discovered fire? Well, hold on a second. Let me show you. And I break out a lighter and like I just a sparkler <laughs> below their mind. Uh, I think I would say uh, country music legend Merle Haggard. That's a, That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Like I like both of those choices. That fire choice may be one of the most inventive choices I've had. <laughs> that, 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 that's a good one. Weird. Uh, <laughs> I like fire start. All right. Craziest mythical uh, morning moment you've ever had. And, and maybe it wasn't a morning moment because I'm thinking about those who did all night long. So I'm, uh, but I'll leave it up to right, you. Right. Craziest moment you, uh, you, you've ever had. I think the thing that was, we, I mean, we've done a lot on the show. I think the time my mind was blown the most was we were doing something where we were seeing if we could, um, how much caffeine we could consume in a very short period of time. And we consumed what was like the medical limit of the amount of caffeine you should consume in one sitting. And then I started feeling like I was having superpowers. Like I felt like I was tapping into people's thoughts so much so that I asked Stevie, uh, who produces the show to think of a number between one and 100 
And I saw in my mind seven and a one and put it together as 71. And then she said she had already written down 71. So I feel like caffeine gave me superpowers. And that's probably the best moment of my life, not just Good Mythical Morning. Love it. Love it. Link. I think the I think the best Good Mythical Morning moment of my life is going to be the last time he tells that story. <laughs> I'm freaking tired of it. You're just mad. Just you tell said me. three. You know what? This is the last time you I'm said the story, three. Like, oh, well, it was just another number. No, I sensed it in the air. <laughs> Things you know. All right. When they do a movie about Rhett and Link, who should play you? Well, <laughs> Daniel Stern is too old now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've been told I look like him. But if we had to do something, somebody to play, I think they could use some of the technology they use in The Hobbit and Elijah Wood could play me because we have a sort of a similar like, you know, buggy eyes, but he, they'd have to make him look like as tall as Gandalf, which is kind of a reverse of what happened. <laughs> right, right. Okay. This is a hypothetical question. You don't have to actually cast. Uh, you know what? I'd be honored if Paul Rudd would step up to the plate. Wow, okay. I've gotten that yeah. comparison. That's a strong one. Both of those are strong. I like both of those. A lot of creativity points on both sides. Uh, final meal for both of you guys. Uh, Link, Rhett, what would you eat? Someone was preparing a final meal. What would we do for you? Okay, give me the burger from Shake Shack, but give me the the, the loaded fries from In-N-Out, and oh, throw in a hot chicken sandwich from Hattie B's. Bring it in from Nashville, baby. Wow, so you're like just putting a and a diet of- coke because I want to be svelte <laughs> as I'm going into the coffin. You're putting a bunch of stuff together. Uh, They'll do that in prison. You can order from multiple fast food restaurants. I think I'm going. We're on death row, right? I'm going simple. <laughs> You know, I'm going that chicken and poppy seed and Ritz cracker casserole just Ooh. because my wife and I in the first year of our marriage would, you know, sit one of those casserole dishes down between never put the casserole dish on the table. Right. Because you will eat half of the casserole <laughs> dish each. I gained 25 pounds my first year of marriage and I 23 of those pounds were from chicken and rice. I mean, chicken and uh, Ritz cracker casserole. <laughs> Well done on both parts. Um, uh, the person who helped you dream fearlessly the most in this life, who's been your best ally when it comes to dreaming fearlessly and bringing those dreams alive? I mean, I think for me, my, my dad had a uh, ridiculous amount of confidence uh, that would get, you know, he would, he would sign up for anything and have the and have the belief that he would be able to do it. So, and I definitely bring that same sort of, uh, it's definitely delusional, but it has been uh, helpful in, in pursuing a career in entertainment. So I'd say my dad. And I know you love your wife and you throw her in there, but I'm, since you didn't say your wife, I'm definitely saying my wife because <laughs> I get all the wife points for this answer. My wife. Also Christy, my wife. I go, <laughs> I go home a lot of times and I'm like, please help me remember that I can do this. You know, so she's, she, she's the source. You should call my dad more often. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, both of those are great lines. That, that Please help me remember I can do this, and you should call my dad more often. <laughs> <laughs> both, of those, uh, both of those are good lines. Um, what, what surprises your Los Angeles friends the most, or would surprise them the most, about life in small-town North Carolina? What would, if, if you were, maybe you have brought them back with you, what would surprise them the most? Um, that uh, recycling is a conspiracy, <laughs> apparently. 
Um, yeah. I, I, when I talk to them about it. The thing that ends up surprising me the most now, you know, having been in Los Angeles for 10 years, uh, it's you're never prepared for just how hot and humid it is. It's like you think you remember, you think you remember it being 100 degrees with 95% humidity. And then when you like step out off the plane and your sunglasses immediately fog up, you're like, oh, I, I was like raised in this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how we did it. There's no telling. I'm going back to North Carolina for the first time, you know, since the p- pandemic. And since I have just let my hair go completely, who knows what's going to happen to this in North, Car- North Carolina humidity. I'm, I'm going to document it on Instagram, though. You can, <laughs> you can bet that. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you end up with a different actor playing you. I, I love that. Um, final question. Last year was, you know, in so many different ways, was a transformational year, including the conversations around race. What, if anything, did you guys take away from that? And I'm not looking for any particular answer, but you guys have a probably a particularly interesting viewpoint, having grown up on one coast, living on another, um, have kids, you have your own perspective. And also, what you said before, Link, about community, you guys probably get to hear from people yeah. and you get to eavesdrop and you get to probably participate in a different way than maybe some people did going through it, given that COVID was happening and what have you. So what, if anything, did you guys take away or learn or were surprised about or excited about or frustrated with? How did you guys navigate that, that, that racial conversation last year or, or take it in somehow? Yeah. A big part of it uh, for us, I think is, is coming from a place uh, in an environment where there was a whole lot of racism going on that because it wasn't this very overt classic kind of Mississippi burning type racism that you see in a movie that therefore it didn't exist. And I think that we kind of, we kind of grew up in a place where we were under that same spell. We're like, ah, no, no, we're not racist. We don't have any of the, any of these thoughts. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, kind of, honestly, growing up a little bit. Uh, and I do think there was a, there was a sort of a deconstruction from our very conservative Christian background that kind of played a role in this, but I ended up kind of talking about this earlier this year after the murder of George Floyd in something I called letter to a white man, where I kind of wrote a letter to my former self who would have, you know, seen that situation with what happened with him and seen it in a different way and tried to analyze it in a different way and asked questions about, well, what, what did this guy done? And, you know, what was this guy just trying to do is I could hear my old self saying some things and making some observations. And so I decided to, you know, talk to that guy and say, listen, I know that you don't think that you ha- you're having racist thoughts. And I know that you're just trying to be practical about this, but if you just stop and think about it and put yourself in George Floyd's shoes, and think about everything that led up to that moment and not just everything in his life, but everything in the life of our country. This is going to make you think about this uh, differently. And so th- th- that's, that's been a big, that's been a huge part of this year is us kind of thinking about where we come from, the mentality that we come from and how it's still very, very strong and prevalent in our country. Uh, and we're going to keep calling it out and keep challenging it. Yeah. And just, knowing that we want to win 
and wrestling with figuring out how we can be part of the solution and then not by default be a part of the problem and learning that that starts with learning more and listening more and actually engaging as empathetically as possible and then elevating those voices that have those experiences and saying, okay, I'm, I'm here to respond to that. And we're going to own where we came from and how we want to change and talk to uh, the mythical beast about that and say, okay, we're here and we want to be, we want to be a a part of this in a positive way. Let me ask your advice a little bit guys and get your feedback. Uh, I grew up in Miami and um, you know, a lot of what you saw in small town North Carolina was also true in big city Miami, meaning racism yeah. and racism that was accepted and normalized and was what it was. Um, and, you know, for someone like me, it is, you're proud of a lot of people for opening up their eyes. You're proud of a lot of all kinds of people, young people, older people you know, saying we can be better, we should be better, we've got a moral responsibility to be better, and that. But there's always still, at least if I'm 100% honest, and and I love that you guys have that between the two of you, so I'm kind of butting in a little bit and pretending like I'm part of the Rhett and Link thing. But but there's, there's, there's a little part of me that... What's the right way to say it? That, that, that thinks that even people who I love who aren't black and disproportionately are white, that, that a lot of them, not all, are going to have trouble really staying committed to this. And I'm going to have trouble really making any real change or any real difference um, uh, for any of a number of reasons. And that, you know, we'll be back here in one form or another a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And I don't really fully believe that. And like everything in life, it's a mix and there's complicated things and you catch me today and I may feel more this way. You catch me an hour later, I may feel more that way. And, and the overall thing, I'm an optimist, I'm hopeful, and blah, blah, blah. But if we really were buddies and we were sitting in first grade, hopefully not in detention anymore, because <laughs> I don't want to have to draw that stuff over and over again. But if we were sitting and we were buddies, I would tell you I was worried about that a little bit. I would tell you that, that I, was, I was happy that I felt like people were more honest than I've seen at least in my lifetime, and a broader set of people, but that I didn't have a ton of confidence. I, I felt like something different is going to need to happen in order to keep um, many white people who hadn't been engaged in this before to keep them genuinely engaged and to have them truly making change as opposed to kind of just, you know what I mean, just a little something, but not something that really is going to change anything meaningful. How do you guys, and I'm not looking for any perfect answer, I'm I'm sharing as much as anything and curious if you have a reaction, if you don't, that's fine too, but, but, but how do you guys hear that and how do you guys, how do you guys think about that? You know, I, I appreciate the question and the conversation because I, again, it's, these conversations need to continue to happen and you know, for me, I sometimes I feel paralyzed because with the words you say, well, first of all, they matter. And second of all, when you're in a position like we are that uh, there's a lot of people who listen, your, your words are scrutinized. And for a person like me that is a verbal processor, 
sometimes, you know, you get scared that you're going to say the wrong thing. So you don't say anything at all. But what I tend to focus on is, and what we've talked about is um, a number of things are flooding my mind, but um, not, it's, it's not about saying the right thing. It's about doing the right thing. And, um, and as honest and authentic as we can be in that process to say, this is, this is where our hearts are as we've tried to be and become as engaged as possible so that if your heart's not breaking, then something's, something's not right. So I, you know, I try to put myself in that position and then say, okay, we have an audience. We also have 100 employees who, you know, and, and we're adding to that number and we want to share with them. And we are sharing with them the things that we're doing, making specific commitments in terms of hiring and, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, those movements that are happening where you, you know, you bring in people to educate you and then you bring in people to help you develop a plan that you can publish to your employees and you can be held accountable to that. These are things that I think are, we think are really important so that a year from now we're doing that much better and that we're contributing. And uh, a year after that, even more. So it's not in that nothing is performative. We're performers. But even though we try to be our true selves, we know that there's a temptation to just do things that are performative, and we don't want to do that. We want, and I think we want to do where, things that are um, that it's not performative. It's what transformative. Transform. Yeah, I, I think that your skepticism is well founded because yeah. we are such a performance based culture, right? And it's so easy for celebrities to uh, put the black square on Instagram for a day. And then be told, uh, that, well, that you should have done that and take it down. And it's like, well, what did you do by putting it up? And what did you do by taking it down? Like that was just something, you know, and I think a lot of times there is this pressure to be like, are you saying the right thing? And we try to move beyond that and be like, we again, who knows? We're like we're not advertising all the, the things that we're trying to do personally or as a company. And, you know, people want to ask our advice, other business people want to ask our advice. So this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to figure out, then we're glad to share it. But uh, your skepticism is very well-founded because you're right. These things kind of come in waves. And I mean, the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about that, what's it going to take? I mean, honestly, a big piece of it is there's, you know, some old people have to die. <laughs> I mean, to be very frank, there, there is a generation that isn't, is not going to change until they're gone. Huh. You know, I actually I, I have more hope in the young people, as Barack Obama would say, than I do the old people. And I, and I think that uh, some people are acting out of fear. I think people's minds are being poisoned by certain cable news channels. And there's there's whole generation of whole generation of old people who could be kind of stepping into their golden years and being the wise sages that they have been for generations who are just operating out of fear. And kind of losing the ability to be the people that we look up to, you know, uh, I know so many people like that. <laughs> and so I think that um, I kind of I've shifted my efforts from trying to change those folks minds who I feel like might be too far gone to be like, what can we do with the younger generation who seems to get it, who seems to have empathy, who seems to be able to appreciate multiple perspectives on things? How can we continue to give the power to them? Yeah, I it, it's um it, again, I'm definitely an optimist in the end, but but I know it's not easy. And so I am 
picking more and more people's brains all the time about what would work, uh, what sort of things could we do, or they're interesting. Even when I go back to you guys talking about experimenting all the time in the early days of YouTube, we're in the early days of this modern civil rights movement, and what sort of things should we try that might uh, might get us to a different place? Hey, uh, Rhett and Link, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much. I uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys on lots of different levels. I Anytime I see good friends together, I automatically miss my buddy Otto, who, you know, we were two seven-year-old guys swapping French fries and orange juice bars uh, uh, together. So it's good to see you guys, not only for what you've done, but because of uh, the friends you guys are. So, uh, so thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's been cool to hang out. Yeah, been a and pleasure. when you get up, don't don't walk into that chandelier back there. <laughs> dangerous. Hey, you know what? A lot of dangerous stuff uh, out here in, uh, in, in the Bay Area. Hey, before you go... I got to show you the most wonderful woman in L.A. who's now in Are the Bay lying? Area. <laughs> there she is. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I miss you guys. We're doing good. I should have. I wish I hadn't worn a T-shirt today. I just said um, I didn't know you. I was going to see you. Well, yeah, maybe you should try harder. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You guys look great. And you guys have been awesome this last year. Everything you've been posting on Instagram is so timely and on point. And even this interview, you guys nailed it. So... Thank you. Cool. Miss you. Yeah, this is fun. Good to see See you soon. Hey, guys, be safe. And I'm going to uh, reach out um, uh, to talk to you guys about a very cool event we do called Aussie Fest. Um, Okay. And I would love for you guys to be a part of it. I think we can have a lot of fun with that. So I'm going to reach out to you guys about that. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Carlos. Carlos. All right. Be safe, guys. Be well. All right. See you. you for listening to this episode of the carlos watson show podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.